Please take your seats. That's a great prayer. In the light of the fact we're just praying that and we're looking for God's help, input, engagement, the recognition that uh, he gives us the privilege and the opportunity uh, of being part of his plan and part of his purpose. Uh, I want to take a little time today to talk about the gospel and uh, introducing people to Jesus. So my first thing, how do you feel about that? Yeah? Well, three of you do anyway. <laughs> yeah. But oft times, I feel a little bit kind of... Uh, it's a bit of a challenge, feel a little bit kind of, hmm, uh, you know, yeah, I like the idea of it, but uh, not so much actually uh, when it comes to crunching it. I think, uh, in all honesty, many of us would feel like that. It's a kind of taking the plunge, yeah? You know what I'm talking about? When you move from a conversation about things into saying what God has done, and what God requires. Uh, that's a, that's a, a, different, a different step, uh, stepping out there. Now, uh, we have said, and I'm just repeating this so we keep clear about it, uh, we have said that um, the word of the Lord is that we don't drop one thing to pick up something else. So we have uh, been very keen on maintaining the idea that the acts of love, the expressions of kindness, the, um, the demonstration of what God is really like, which we've majored on and will continue to major on, that doesn't change. What we're doing at this time is seeking to add uh, the seizing of opportunity to bring to people the most important aspect of God's love was that he gave himself for them. Uh, and that is something that transforms our lives, it's the most significant thing we've ever discovered. And to be honest, if we, if we try to, to demonstrate God's love but hold out on that particular question or that particular part of it, we're holding out on the very best. And so we really want to make sure that we're getting that correct blend, that we've got the right things in, in the mix and not get pushed away from that. Now... Some of you, like me, come from a background where uh, anything that we did or anything that we said was kind of like baiting the hook in order to catch a fish. That the only thing we wanted was to see uh, more people become followers of Jesus. Now, I know that's critical, that's important, that's the best thing that we could, we could offer, but we must never be reduced to doing something in order to do something else because that somehow departs from integrity it departs from the very basis of being driven by love being motivated by compassion and that is critical that we we make sure we keep we keep clear that we're not going back to that idea of we're just doing this in order to get what we want or in order to do or achieve the particular purpose that we're looking for at any given time. That being the case, of course, it's critical that we continue with those uh, acts of kindness, uh, those opportunities. And I, I just want to mention to you, 
Um, I think, I don't know, but I, I think that, that God has been giving me um, sort of samples of what it could be like. It's not actually happened yet. Um, but I was on the train and uh, getting off at Goodmace and I saw an elderly lady with a, a small case, you know, roll-on case. And the thought came to me, why don't you offer to carry that up the steps? I thought, hmm, yeah, that would be good. Happily, before I actually got to her, her son was standing there on the platform waiting to do the very same thing. I thought, hmm. But it's like God giving us and beginning to show, here's an opportunity to demonstrate my heart, which may also be an opportunity to share something of my love. It happened, this is, I mention this because when things happen two or three times, I begin to take note. You know, it seems like an incidental thing, but then two or three times I'm thinking, hmm. So, uh, I sometimes like to speak to the road sweepers and say thanks for the job that you're doing. Uh, probably it's because I kind of envy that. It's one of the things that I've always wanted to do. Uh, <laughs> No, I, I think that to, to sweep a road and then look back and look at what you've done. I did it once. This is, this is not part of what I'm supposed to be talking about. But uh, We're running a youth camp, and uh, it, one of the games we were playing was we'd go into the centre, I think it was... Where was it? No, no, this one, we were at the coast, Hastings or some... I don't know, wherever. Anyway, some big place. And all the, all the kids in the youth camp... Uh, we, we would go in disguised and they had to find and the winner was the person who found the most people. And the key thing, you had to go up to them and say, are you little Fred? Was That was the key thing. I remember this from a long time ago. And we decided, a couple of us, that it would be good uh, to uh, disguise ourselves as road sweepers. So we went to the council and borrowed one of those special, uh, I don't know, dustbins on wheels things and brooms. The only thing they said to us, but look, we're happy to help you, but you must actually sweep the roads. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be getting the ratepayers phoning up saying, hey, your people, we're paying this money, and they ain't doing the job. So we spent the day sweeping the roads. That was fun, great, enjoyable. So coming back to my story, oh, there's another little story. Shall I tell you another one? <coughs> right. A couple of the other people decided to disguise themselves as a carer looking after somebody uh, in a wheelchair. And they managed to borrow some old wheelchair, which was all fine until they were going across a pedestrian crossing and the wheel came off. <laughs> which was okay, but right by the pedestrian crossing were a group of nuns who rushed to help <laughs> this poor person. And... They just had to play the part. <laughs> it's just, it was too, too awkward, too embarrassing to say, this is just a game. <clears throat> oh, I, I haven't always been good. <laughs> anyway, on one of the hot days uh, this week, I thought, OK, the road sweepers are coming. And I thought... You know what, wouldn't it be good? And this thought just came into my mind. Give them a cold drink 
instead of just saying, thanks for doing it. Again, it didn't happen, because by the time I got out there, they'd gone. So, uh, but here's my point. If we are geared towards this, we can expect that God will give us either divine connections or divine opportunities, those moments which we can demonstrate what God is like, and it may also be times which we have an opportunity to share uh, the, the goodness of God in terms of what he has provided for us through Jesus. So we have to be compassion-driven, and uh, we have to do those things um, that he gives us to do. And, of course, that means that we have to... His working in us needs to cause us to, to care enough uh, and to know that we have what only he can give us, which is the power, his power to actually bring this gospel. Of course, we don't really understand how powerful that is. So let's have a little look at that um, and recognize, as we do, we've got this amazing um, commission, opportunity, that, that God gives to us. I mean, he selected usums, uh, and let's be honest, we're not the most likely lads, but he selected us uh, to carry uh, this great commission to make disciples of all nations. I mean, it's a very, very honourable uh, and amazing task that he selected that we should actually be those who, amongst all the others, but... Uh, who, who are charged with a particular role on his behalf to carry on the miraculous ministry of Jesus, to be, um, Bible talks about like a, a, a city on a hill, uh, something that stands out like lights in darkness, like uh, salt that has not lost its savour, that something that kind of flavours, that makes a difference, that brings change that shows a different way. I mean, let's face it, uh, when we're looking, we just sit and look at the news for a week, uh, it's pretty obvious in the wider sense uh, that the desperate nature, the need that exists within the world in which we live, and we are commissioned and have that particular responsibility. Now, uh, of course, there's a general need, the things that we meet on a regular basis. Uh, people in um, difficulty and people not in difficulty. Uh, we mustn't ever think that somebody whose life is sort of seeming to go along smoothly uh, can actually uh, couldn't do an awful lot better if they submitted that life uh, to the Lord Jesus, to have his guidance, his life operating from within them. Uh, we must never judge that from the outside. But when we look at some of the um, specific things, we'll hear more about this uh, probably next week, but uh, some of the uh, opportunities and connections that are coming up through the route that God has opened through PJ doing this Queen's Young Leaders Award thing, uh, and the doorways, and um, even this last few days... Because of the work that we've been engaged together in doing, uh, particularly around Ebola in Sierra Leone, uh, we're 
increasingly invited into the, into the sort of councils of people who determine what needs to happen. And one of the major government agencies uh, called together uh, a group this week. <clears throat> and basically, they're saying, what do we do? How do we handle this? Now, we've already had opportunity to bring something of God's mind and wisdom into these situations. Basically, that opportunity has been increased now. You know, when we come together and pray, we don't come together and say, oh, God, please bless us, and when you've done that, bless us again. We don't, we're not engaged in that. We're engaged in the things that God sets before us. We need the mind of God and the wisdom of God on whatever area it may be. And in this one, it's how we can actually bring God's wisdom to affecting a critical situation in a nation or nations. Now, it makes no sense to me. I mean, I think you're great. But in the, in the greater scale of things, look at us, you know. I mean, look at yourselves, I mean, you know. We're not, it's not about, I think as the Bible says, it's not about how wise, how great, how strong, how mighty. It's about how we connect and are connected by God into him, that he might download his wisdom. So it's a significant time and opportunity uh, as we uh, move ahead with these things and gain these opportunities. So let's have a little look together um, to refresh ourselves about uh, the gospel. What is our message? What is it that we have uh, to bring as God gives us that opportunity? Opportunity of his wisdom into specific situations, but opportunity of what he requires of the people that he sends us to. The greatest thing, most significant thing. All right. First of all, the gospel. Uh, it's illogical. Um, it is not something that can be uh, rationally explained. I, I remember because we were looking recently at that Billy Graham, um, some of you saw it, that video uh, based around the cross, it took me back to uh, listening uh, in those days so many times uh, in, that, in that Billy Graham stuff. Um, there, there's nothing logical. I mean, there was, if you hear it, it's a, it's a statement. It's not, it's not breaking down to somehow explain how this applies. It's a, it's a, a very bold and bold statement, a declaration of God's uh, purpose. And I think that sometimes we can get into a real struggle if we're trying to explain something which, frankly, has no logical position. The, the, the natural mind is never going to get hold of that. Uh, so I think we've got to grapple with the fact that we talk primarily about the cross, about the sacrifice that, that Jesus made. Um, you know, I know it's a, often a, a, a symbol. Um, some of you may have them, the crosses and things like that. Um, that's personal choice. If I wore one, I'd want to wear a symbol of an empty tomb rather than a cross uh, because, to me, 
the resurrection is so critical and so vital and so important. But I understand that. What we're looking at uh, is the cross is a symbol or recognition or an act that showed that there was something that we needed that only God could supply. The crunch point is when you have to say, actually, the need is this, that in God's sight, you are a sinner. You have fallen short of his standard. I don't really like you saying that to me. I mean, who do you think you are? Do you think you're so good to say that to me? Hmm. See, it's offensive. It's offensive to say to somebody, you have a need. It's offensive to say. And that's intended. It's intended to be that. Intended to recognise that there was a need for sacrifice and uh, for this uh, act that God did, um, this resurrection. Now, let's just have a little look at a couple of scriptures. Um, Philippians uh, chapter 2. couple of verses there. <clears throat> I'm just jumping in there. It's talking about uh, what Christ did. Um, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the requirement. That is actually the, the, the nub of what is happening. Now, that, of course, cuts right through the idea of... Um, I'm a sinner, I'm going to hell, I need to get to heaven, uh, Jesus has provided a way, I somehow come to him and he then gives me the, like a ticket and then depending on your, your kind of particular flavour of doctrine, you're safe, you can never lose it or you've got to try hard for the rest of your life not to lose it. Um, it I know that that, for many of us, and certainly for me, that was, that was what I'd heard, that's what I understood. It's not actually what the Bible says. The Bible starts off talking about what God has done, talking about the fact that he requires, deal with sin in a minute, but he requires that everybody, but everybody, but everybody, accepts and places Jesus as the ruler of their life, their Lord, their master. That This is not about a one-off thing. It starts with that decision. It's enacted by the miracle that God does in changing us. But then it requires, the Bible says it, in the same way as you receive Christ, you have to continue. It, re it requires us, by God's power, to continue to live under his rule. Which means that 
the decisions that I make, the attitudes that I take, the actions that I pursue, all have to be not what I want, not what I feel, not what suits me, but what he wants. So it's a constant decision. That's why he says uh, daily we take up our cross, that means we say no to self, and choose to follow him. It's a constant process. Anything else is substandard. Now, since we're dealing with something which is essentially illogical, let me say, argument and discussion ain't never going to get us anywhere. I even think, if you look at the story of Paul on Mars Hill, where he seemed to enter into that, at that point, there doesn't seem to be much of an outcome when he was, he was inclined to try and put a reasoned position. So if it's illogical, argument and discussion are completely beside the point. So debating religion and trying to prove particular points, not very effective. You see, that God would send his son and allow him as a sacrifice to die on the cross and to raise him from the dead in three days in itself doesn't make any logical sense. The fact that 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 happened 2,000 years ago is now vital and applicable to now, that don't make any sense at all. So we're talking about something which is very real, very true, very powerful, and very illogical. Because of that, it's not easy to say. Because we're, we're tuned in our, in our way to present a, a reasonable argument, a clear position for anything that we want to say or believe. But this is something which doesn't lend itself to that at all. It's, uh, it, it, nothing of that is going to help. And because of that, I don't know about you, but it can become a bit difficult to talk about. It's easier to talk about community, the things we're doing, the nature of church, uh, all sorts of things. It's somehow easy. There's a resistance in us to launch into something which is basically illogical. And yet, as we'll read in a moment, it is absolutely critical. It's, it's the vital thing that we need to do. And of course, in the same way as there's a resistance in us to present it, you can talk about a lot of things. But you start talking about Jesus and about what he did and about what God requires in terms of the submission of our lives to his rule. You suddenly lifted things, not out of something which people say, oh, yes, that's nice to be doing good like that. You've lifted it into a different place, the place that God ordains that we need to go. You see, when we come to God, there's a, a decision that we enter into as we've made a choice. I will choose to believe that Jesus died and was raised again. 
I make that choice. The ability to actually believe that, to have that as a foundation of our lives, the ability to say, I will have him, I will allow him, I will be empowered by him for him to have his way in my life. That is a supernatural thing. Look, let, let me explain. There are things that, it, that are consistent with living under God's rule which are nigh on impossible. You are somebody that has been so horrendously treated about forgiveness. Nah. Let, let me focus on retribution, not forgiveness. The ability to forgive, we make the choice because that's what he requires of us and he enables us by his power. You see, this is a revelation. We actually come to know God by what he does. Nothing we could do. This is not about our good works or good intentions. There's nothing we can do. So, it's a revelation that is necessary, but it's the presentation that God calls us to do. So, getting drawn into argument, the classic sort of objections of what about the people that have never heard, what about suffering in the world, etc., etc. That's only a sidetrack. We have to keep on the message. Now, let's have a little look at that. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse... I'm going to read from verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him, right? not achieved by any natural wisdom. You can be the smartest that there is. You ain't never going to get to this one. All right? God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. And it is to the natural mind, is foolish. Doesn't make sense. The foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded a miraculous sign. That was their, their kind of stuff. Greeks looked for wisdom, all the philosophy stuff. But we preached Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, it's for those who believe the power of God to come into this relationship with him. Stumbling block, foolishness, <laughs> but so very real, so very necessary. The fact that he was on the cross to save me says, I have committed an offence. That's actually, I do need to be saved. It's designed to be provocative. We're talking about um, a power in the very words, in the very declaration, a power to make a difference and to bring, to break through and to be light in darkness. The power of God to salvation. You see, the cross not only confronts you with your sin, but the truth of the resurrection 
causes you to understand the requirement of God is not a choosing simply to uh, accept a set of beliefs, but the requirement is to commit a life, your life, under his rule and for his purpose. So we choose and he enables us to believe. Now, in this morning, there's not a lot of time to go into the, the detail of this and touching it um, and just taking the main points. But we do have uh, Mark McGrath, who many of you know, uh, some while ago, having talked about these things for a long time, decided he would set them down in a book. Now, we have that book. And if you've not read it, I would strongly encourage you to read it. Let, let Debbie know uh, that, that it really is an excellent clear setting out of the biblical message rather than the traditional message. Additionally, um, we're going to do a little sort of sampling in a minute, but additionally, um, on Thursday, the ministry training on Thursday, we'll go into more detail about the message and about leading um, someone to know Jesus. One of the vital parts of that is what God's done for us. You see, um, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? People can debate all sorts of things. They can't really debate your experience. Uh, how do you know God's alive? Well, I was just talking to him. You know, that personal experience of actually knowing God. And I want to, uh, I'm to say, as we learn to share appropriately in a key way the things that um, God has done for us that's a very very helpful thing very very helpful and I would if I'm doing it I would say you know what my parents were Christian they were churchgoers um, they were faithful to what they knew and what they believed so I was taken to church and heard all that stuff but that did not make a difference for me. In fact, I heard so much about a God that sort of said you mustn't do this and mustn't do that. The first chance I got, I thought, let me get out of here. And uh, so when I was 17 and I got a driving license and got a car, that was my way to get out of that thing and to go and to do all the things and engage in everything that I wasn't supposed to, uh, which was, was an interesting time. Even more interesting was how God, and I built up this um, kind of defense mechanism. I wasn't always nice and friendly and approachable like I am now. I can't help how I look. You have to live with it. God made it, so... <clears throat> I built up a kind of real aggressive, you couldn't talk to me about anything to do with God. You want to try? I got all the answers ready. It was a defensive position. And God, in his love and in his mercy, worked through that and created 
some circumstances that separated me from the very people that I was built of friendships with and I was engaged in all sorts of things with. And then he took me aside and revealed not a religion but a relationship and enabled me to actually come to a place where I said, you know, I, I want to... This is not about anything I've heard. This is not about parents. But I want to actually say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, it was such an about turn. Uh, people were shocked. Complete turnaround. But you see, when I submitted my life, not so much to parental control, but to his desire. God did something which was about coming to know him, not just know things about him. And to be able to, to walk clean and clear and pure in spite of all the past was a, just, a, just a remarkable thing. To have somebody that I can choose to submit to who will direct me in what I do. And then I will perhaps go on to expand some things beyond that. When we come to actually uh, sharing the, the gospel message, there will be particular ways, particular kind of introductions that, that are helpful, a declaration of uh, who God is, um, the, the proclamation of, of actually declaring that, that Jesus was raised from the dead. What I'm saying is we've got many kind of ways and means, but the work that Mark did that we embraced many years ago, in fact, we always, in the early days, we always used to call it the Mark McGrath Gospel, but actually it's the Gospel of the Lordship of Christ. Um, It may be that there are various introductory ways, but here's the point. We're focused not so much on our need, but what God has done. There's the key thing. Declaration, and it proclaims and says about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The very scripture that I've just read to you. Uh, that Jesus was killed and three days later God raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, it changed the whole world. That was the world-changing thing. Everything in the whole of history focuses around that one particular time and that one particular act. And God appointed him at that point to be ruler and requires everybody to submit to that. And I mean... People have different words for responding to that. Some people would talk it about repenting. Others would talk about believing. But essentially, the fundamental point is that, hey, where does that leave you? Where does that leave you? If God did that and then caused for everybody to submit to his rule, Jesus' rule, to give their lives over to Jesus. Where does that leave you? There has to be that, that focusing because this is about 
what God wants uh, for the individual that he gave himself for. And of course, out of that flows the promise of all that he will do. And that may be talking about forgiveness of sins, maybe being part of the purpose of God. Uh, But the truth of the matter is, if somebody does that, there is a miracle that God does. He steps in. It's no other way. It's not about uh, complying to a set of beliefs. It's not about engaging in some religion. I personally think all religions are a complete waste of time. This is not about religion. People can't understand when I tell them I am not religious. Well, you must be. Well, I don't have to be, and for sure I'm not. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have submitted my life to him, but I am not. I was talking to one of my uh, Muslim neighbours the other day, and I said to him, I'm not going to just have myself embraced upon the sort of title of Christian, because that seems to me to cover a multitude of all sorts of things I wouldn't always want to be identified with. But I will have myself identified as a follower of Jesus, somebody who has chosen to submit their life to him. Of course, God does some stuff. It opens the door for him to change us, opens the door uh, for him to make us different. The love of God (laughs) begins to to affect our whole being. It connects us to his family, so we're into a family of people that love one another and causes our lives to um, to be, as it were, engaged in his plan and his purpose. Fantastic, wonderful place to be. So, as we conclude on this for now, um, it's a very, very good thing to offer, to volunteer. I love volunteers. And a little while ago, Stephen and Annabelle volunteered. I thought, wow. And I've not forgotten that. I'm not likely to forget that. So I gave them a little task. One of them has two minutes to share, to present in their own words the, how they would say, communicate the gospel. The other one has two minutes to share their testimony of coming to know Jesus. Listen carefully, because who knows what's going to happen in coming days. Little tip, little tip, little tip. Right, where's Steve? He's run away? Right, you come first, Annabelle. Which one are you going to do? Okay, two minutes starting from now. So, um, I've always known Jesus. My parents, um, like John's, followed God and introduced me to him. And I've always talked to him and known him. And when I was seven, um, that was the first time somebody uh, told me I had a choice. I could choose to follow him. So, uh, that's when I prayed and said I wanted to follow him and invited him, as my kids say, to be the boss of my life. 
Um, but it's not been about a one-time choice for me. Um, it's become a daily and sometimes a moment-by-moment moment choosing um, to follow him, to put him first, um, and often to put to death what Annabelle wants and instead choose what God wants. Um, and I guess for me in the last few years, that's been the question. Um, I had a really good start in life. I had family, I had parents, I had a nice home, I did well at school, I got a job that I wanted and that I was really good at, I got married, I had kids. Um, those are the things that I really wanted and, and I guess that many of us want. Um, but then through a combination of events for me, a lot of that <laughs> disappeared. Not my marriage and my kids, <laughs> but, um, but a lot of the other stuff. Um, and for a while it made me question who God is, why, why would he let that happen? Um, why did he stop blessing me? Do I really believe that he's a good God if he'd suddenly take all that away? Um, and I guess for me, that's what salvation looks for me now. It's to keep choosing to put my life in his hands, to choose to believe in who he is, um, no matter what it looks like. So my salvation testimony, were you salvation or coming to know Jesus or being saved? Um, in the Hebrew, in the Bible, it talks about salvation a lot, and the other words it uses are deliverance, help, victory, welfare, health, aid, rescue, freedom, safety, and the help of his presence. And that's my testimony, that knowing Jesus has saved me from trying to live a life that lives up to a standard but that always falls short. He's saved me from being so scared about what people thought of me that it would overtake my thought life. And there was a time when I felt so rejected by people, I couldn't even say the word rejection, but he has shown me that I am his accepted daughter. <laughs> Thanks. And that I am unrejectable. Good. Can I do the last little bit? Quickly. 30 seconds. Um, he is my victory, not through my circumstances being always what I want them to be, but they cannot cut me down or stop me being who he's made me to be. I know him, I feel his presence when I talk to him, and that feeling's better than any other. He hmm. is my place of safety. But my salvation's not about what I can gain, it's about putting him in his rightful place. But he is such a good God that when I give him all of myself, and when I let go of what I want, it's not an expression of loss, but it's an expression of what he does, and the beautiful display of him in every area of my life. That's good. Thanks. Please, please show yourself more righteous than your wife. You have two minutes starting from now. Okay. God made me. He made the world. And he loves it. But it's not quite as he intended it to be. Um, people have kind of forgotten about him. They've forgotten he's there. They're too busy trying to do their own thing. And it's meant that greed and stuff like that's crept into the world. But God wasn't happy to leave it like that. So he sent Jesus to demonstrate who he is. And Jesus, when he came to, to, came to earth, he demonstrated that by healing people, broken, uh, healing broken relationships, um, going to people who have really given up on life and, and showing them what life is all about and giving them hope again. Unfortunately, religious people at the time really hated uh, what he was saying about what they believed, and they killed him. But this is a crazy thing. God knew that all the time. He knew that Jesus would be killed. And you know what? God knew that death couldn't keep him there. And actually, he came back to life again. And this is the calling we've got. What do we do about that? Um, we now have the possibility, because he's alive, of knowing him. 
and our choice is, do we decide to follow him now, turn away from our own agenda and what we want and start doing what he wants? And if we decide to do that, then we've got this amazing life opened up to us. We've got the possibility of um, knowing the living God. We've got a possibility of following him. We've got a possibility of um, having peace, even when stuff around us isn't going right. And we've also got the possibility of having a real purpose in our lives, a purpose of following him and knowing him. And the even more amazing news than that is that that kind of life goes on forever and ever. uh, And we can live it even after we die. Well done.